My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're back. Lots changed in 2020, and that includes this show. First, the good news. We have some great guests coming up. We have done some remote recording, and we are going to be talking money secrets and manifesting and the right mindset for long-term financial well-being. In slightly less happy news, Alex has moved on to new projects, and this episode, which we recorded last summer, is the last time she's going to be on the show. We'll miss Alex's smart takes and weirdo humour, and we all wish her all the best. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Splendorlust, the podcast about the emotional side of money, why our actions aren't always as good as our intentions, and what we can do about it. I'm Martha Lawton. And I'm Alex Lemon. And we're your hosts. Today's Squanderlust comes from a listener request. Twitter user Narrowboat Lucy said in the light of Black Lives Matter protests, she was reflecting on ownership and assets, where her pensions and other investments were held, and what she could do to make sure her money was not supporting unethical companies. We're remote recording today, which means we're able to bring not one, but two great guests who are experts on this topic and aren't usually in the same location as us. We've got Tom Morris, a chartered financial planner and director of Ovation Finance and the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, and Georgia Stewart, chief executive of Tomello. Welcome to both. Hi, guys. Thank you. Hi. Um, so, Georgia, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Tomello? Sure, thanks. So, yeah, my name's Georgia. I am the CEO of Tomello, which is a small impact-led financial technology startup based in Bristol. And Tomello's mission is really to help individuals make the investment system more sustainable and to do that through the investments and savings that they already have. So what we do is help people who have an ISA or a pension to understand a bit more about where that money is going. So what companies do they own within those products and to have a voice as a shareholder on important issues surrounding those investments like gender equality at Facebook or human rights at Google, for example. Um, and so I guess that pertains quite well to that ownership question. That's really what we're doing, trying to help people understand that by investing 
they are taking ownership of shares within the stock market and the financial system and that they can do something about it. Great. Tom, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Ovation and also about the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing? Yeah, sure. So as you said, I'm a director and charter financial planner at Ovation in Bristol as well. So there's a theme. I guess very much our job is to really help our clients understand what's important to them. And then once we understand that, we're able to create financial plans for them to help them navigate towards uh, whether it be defined objectives or ultimately live a life that includes all those things that are important to them. Um, and at the back end, give them you know, formal advice on on how to get there, whether that be the way they're investing or the way that they're saving their money. But as you mentioned, the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, that was, or that is, an organisation that, that I'm a director of as well. And we set that up late last year, so late 2019. At Ovation, we're very much keen on the idea of financial wellbeing and all that entails and trying to understand that topic to ultimately make sure our clients are you know, happier, not necessarily just wealthier. And yeah, we, we created this initiative off the back of a, a, a conference we did last year, and it's just exploded, to be honest with you. It's, it's mainly geared at the moment towards other financial planners, advisors, and, and, and people in the financial services profession. But we're up to about 180 paying members now, and it's grown massively, and we've only really been in existence proper for a six or seven months. So that's great. We're going to be researching the topic more and more. But if you don't mind, I'm going to put my other hat on as well. Also do a podcast. Go for it. Shameless plug. Feel free to to, to edit this out. Um, we've been doing the Financial Wellbeing podcast for four years now. So yeah, talking and trying to unpack this whole topic of what wellbeing is about and how ultimately we can make our finances improve that. So yeah, a bit long. Sorry. No, no, that that's fine. We actually have talked about how managing your money right is a really key part of well-being a couple of times on the show haven't we Alex yes for sure yeah it's definitely a key part of what we do and obviously we tap a lot into the emotions that come out of that um, and the psychology behind it but it's very closely connected absolutely in fact that's how certainly myself and Martha got to know each other was was via the the initiative for financial well-being so we came across each other's radar through that so what you guys are doing is brilliant oh Thank Carry you. on. <laughs> so, Georgia, could you explain to us briefly what Tomello does um, and, and what a customer might see if they are using Tomello? Sure. So, Tomello is a consumer facing platform. So, it's designed for retail investors, for pension members, for just ordinary people, basically. What the platform allows people to do is to log on and see what companies they own through their investments. So if you've got an ISA with a specific investment provider or through a specific platform or a pension with lots of different places it might be, we help you see what companies you actually own within those investment products. Um, so like shares in Facebook and Google or British American Tobacco or whatever, we make that really transparent for users. And then the second thing that we do is help users have a voice on issues that they care about. So if there is a vote coming up at Facebook, for example, on human rights, or maybe uh, shareholders are asking Shell or BP to be more transparent about their climate change targets, then we feed that vote through to the pension member or the retail investor so that they can have a say, whereas they wouldn't normally 
because the vote normally stops with the fund manager. So the fund managers know that all these votes are going on and they're voting however they want to. But the underlying investors, the people who are actually putting the money in every month, don't get a look in. They don't get a say. So what we do is feed that vote through, collect the responses from the retail investors, from the pension members, and feed those responses back to the people who actually have the voting right, which in this case is often the fund manager. Sometimes it's the retail investor and the pension member who actually have the right and they don't even know that they have it. So I guess what we're trying to do is take out lots of layers of intermediation and um, like get the stuff that really matters to the pension members and to the retail investors so that they can take more ownership over their money and, and have a voice on issues that we know that they really care about. I think this is exactly what has been missing for consumers to feel engaged with their money. I think that's terrific. Yeah, we've got, I mean, thousands of people voting at the moment on the platform as well. So it's, you know, it's happening. It's early days for us, but they were working with some big workplace pension schemes. Um, and it's great to see, you know, people that didn't even know what their pension was four weeks ago to be voting on issues, you know, like human rights and gender equality and sexual harassment gets really controversial sometimes. And it's really interesting to see people's feedback. So, you know, you've got people who, these are not people who care about ethical investment necessarily. You know, they've not come to us and said, please, can we access this? It's just something that their workplace has shared with them because they, they know that they might be interested. So it's, it's kind of, I'm sure we've got some people who would consider themselves climate activists, for example, but we'll have lots of people who probably never thought about this before. Um, and we're collecting votes from them on, you know, how much Netflix's CEO should be paid or you know, whether Google should launch in China and all sorts of things like that. So, you know, it's interesting to get their opinion from an ethical standpoint, but also it's really insightful in terms of what the general public understand and think about these larger public companies. And yeah, it's just great for people to have a say. The feedback is that people feel really empowered and just generally feel more in control of their investments, even though like, technically nothing has really changed apart from them having a greater voice. But, you know, going back to what you were saying about financial well-being and all that stuff, if we can create a sustainable investment system by putting pressure on fund managers to vote in the right way, but also um, help people feel more in control, more comfortable with their investments, just because it's less of a black abyss, then that's two bears of one stone. I think it's a really positive outcome for us. And in terms of like how a user would access it, which is something I always forget to talk about, we have got a standalone platform that you know we can use directly with workplaces. So if you're a workplace pension, then you could come to us and say, I want this for my employees. But we also work directly with the fund managers and with the investment providers. So you know, if you use an investment app, for example, our technology can be embedded into that so that it just looks like part of the existing user experience. You know, it looks like your existing investment platform is giving you this functionality and it's just kind of Tomello doing the cogs um, behind the scenes. So the idea is that it can you know, go everywhere. It's not necessarily that people have to be coming and logging onto our platform. We really want it to be accessible for all retail investors and all pension members around the world, I guess, although we're starting in the UK, as you can imagine. Excellent. So I think we want to start off with some kind of basic definitions. Ethical investments are a really big topic and our listeners are a really intelligent bunch, but we're not going to make any assumptions about how much they know. So Georgia, do you want to start us off? Just tell us really briefly, what do we mean when we say ethical investment? What a good question. Um, <laughs> I suppose it really depends who's asking, but um, from a kind of more simplified perspective, 
when you are making a decision about an investment, like putting your money into stocks and shares ISA or into a pension pot, normally um, or historically, you would just be kind of asking for advice or, or seeking a product based purely on this idea of financial returns and I want to put some money in and I want to get more money back. And I think, broadly speaking, the idea of ethical investment or sustainable investment or impact investment is that you might take some other things into consideration, like what is this money uh, going to do to the wider world, to the climate, to my local community, you know, on whatever level that is. Is it having a negative effect? Is it having a positive effect? And I think we've come a long way, so it's, it's not necessarily that it's definitely not the case that making a sustainable or an ethical investment means you no longer have to, you no longer get performance or that you have to sacrifice performance even. You can have both. And I think that's really what ethical investment has come to represent is this idea of seeking a return financially, but also seeking a positive return in terms of the effect that those investments have on the community or the world. And in a more practical sense, I suppose when you make an investment, you are making capital, you're making money available to someone else in the system. Could be to a massive company like Facebook or to a smaller kind of, I don't know, uh, renewable energy startup in your local community. But by making that capital available, you're facilitating some kind of action or some kind of change to occur. And ethical investment is about facilitating positive net change as opposed to negative net change, which which may be the case if you invested in a tobacco company or something like that. That's great. Thank you. Just thinking about that when we, because obviously we're talking to Tom today as well, people may not be actively investing or be talking to somebody like Tom as part of working out their portfolio or, or how to make their financial plans. There will be people who are investors who maybe don't realise that they are or how, how might people actually have investments without being aware of it, that this is, is also relevant to them in their lives? Yeah, massively. I think, I mean, even if you're saving and your money is sitting in a current account or in a savings account especially, then there's still a question around ethical finance generally. So if your money's in a savings account, it's generally being lent by your bank to people who need lending. And they could be ethical companies or unethical companies. So, you know, it already at that level, this idea exists. But in terms of investments, most people have them because if you have a pension, then that is very likely to be invested into the stock market. So although your pension just looks like a pension pot and probably doesn't have much information about it when it comes through your letterbox or, or in your email, underneath the hood, your pension money is used to buy shares in some of the largest companies in the world. And I think in the UK, the pension system is worth something like three trillion pounds. So that's money from every individual almost across the UK being funneled into one type of financial system. And I guess the, the question we're asking is, is that the right one? And should we all be a little bit more aware that our pension money is being used in the way it is? And, and if we were more aware, could we use it to do something you know, more effective and more positive, um, like investing in sustainable infrastructure or, or that kind of thing? Something that would get us a return, but also you know mean that we retired into a better place. So yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that they have investments, but they actually do. And that's something that we find in our product. Sometimes people leave us feedback and they say, well, this product is great, but well, why are you showing me a list of companies? What do you mean that my money is invested? And then it's really like the first wake up call for people, especially around pensions, which is just a lot less transparent and people know a lot less about. On which note, can I ask Tom to uh, 
give us a quick explanation. We'll be talking about investment funds today. Can you just give us a quick outline? What do we mean when we talk about a fund? Give us some jargon busting. <laughs> jargon busting. I shall try my best. A fund is simply a vehicle that has lots of different investors' money in it. It's a lot easier for people to get a good spread of investments via a fund. Most people should really be thinking about trying to diversify what they have. And what I mean by that is not holding one particular company. Via a fund, it's very likely that you could be holding upwards 50 to 100, even more companies in one fund, which is great because if one doesn't do so well, others will prop it up and vice versa. Um, and even if a company went bust, it means that you've got lots of other holdings there and, and lots of other companies that are still still there and still in existence. So diversification is important and that's what a fund can do. But ultimately what happens is, is your money goes into this fund and a manager will pick the investments for you. Jargon busting, I could go into real detail here with active managers is where you actually have a human involved picking those stocks or passive, which is where effectively you just copies the market and it's almost like a commute computers in the background and just copying what what a certain stock market is doing so there's less human involvement but for that it doesn't cost as much so yeah a fund is a way in which to pool your money with lots of other people which means that you can afford to buy lots of other companies at once and also takes away that need to be a terrific stock picker for example because it's very difficult to pick the right companies at the right time so for most people it's not ideal so yeah fund is is a good way of getting access to that. I hope that was jargon busting enough. You can that tell me if it wasn't, exactly I can try again. exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. While we're on the subject, can we also get a couple of the terms that we tend to associate with ethical investment as well? So I think we've mentioned a couple of them already, ESG, SRI, impact investing. There's, there's all these sort of words. So if you can give us a, a couple of quick definitions of what those things are that would be really helpful sure so esg is definitely the phrase that is used more and more often now and the e stands for environmental factors so we're thinking about someone's carbon footprint oil and gas nuclear that sort of thing also the sustainability and what impact it has on the on the planet social is where it's starting to look at things that are maybe aligned to human rights perhaps the effects of tobacco, alcohol, weapons. And then we've got governance, which is just the way that a company are actually going about their business. Is it done in a quote unquote ethical manner or is it got certain structures in place that are going to mean that it reduces the company's risks of going AWOL? That's what ESG stands for. But I guess where it all started, ESG is a relatively new phrase. Where it all started was this sort of responsible investing, which was more aligned to actually just screening out. What I mean by screening out is avoiding certain types of companies. So this is quite a long history now, actually. And there's a lot of funds that still do this where they will not invest in tobacco. They will automatically not invest in alcohol. They will not invest in gambling or weapons or certain things like oil and gas. So that's where the responsible investing comes in is where they it's more of a negative screen as we call it something they will just exclude the next one when you start to come into impact investing 
that's more where they're looking for more positive companies that are providing more positive impact that are actually trying to invest in a way in which we might have a more sustainable planet ways in which they're helping other companies reduce their carbon footprint so that's more of an impact is they're actually trying to make a difference rather than just excluding certain types of companies and the further you go down that this sort of impact scale you get further and further away than the finances being as important we can go right to the end of the scale where we think about philanthropy where actually the financial returns are disregarded completely and it's all about making a, a positive social and environmental impact but for most people when we're talking about ethical investing and esg investing it's excluding certain types of companies or investing in companies that are having a positive impact unfortunately it's quite a broad subject and i think as it matures, I think some of the metrics that are used will become more defined, but it's it's quite a broad one to, to really tackle. Certain funds will have different ways of doing this, and it's really important to know how they do approach. A, a, an example would be that a, a fund might do best of breed. So they might look at a particular sector and go, well, who's the most positive? But that might mean you've still got certain companies that don't align to your values. Let's use oil and gas as an example. You might find that BP are doing great things to change the world or trying to be more sustainable. But that's still quite relative best of what. Does that does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, that, yes. that's really, really helpful. Yeah. My background reading on this and, and, you know, what I heard in the past was that if you look way, way back, some of the roots of things like ethical investing or responsible investing, started off even with things like the churches trying to invest money that they'd been given where they didn't want to invest their funds in in companies that went against their religious beliefs and and so it can be a very personal thing what somebody's decisions are regarding what is ethical it's not just about yeah like you said there's a lot of different ways in which something can be defined as ethical whether it's your particular viewpoint on social issues, whether it's the environmental thing that's really important to you. Um, and then, as you said, there's a sort of sliding scale around, do you want to exclude? Do you want to include? Do you want to include on to a particular level? Or do you are you looking particularly for a positive impact? So it's a very interesting topic and very broad. Yeah, very broad. And, and you're absolutely right. My, my understanding is it was back in the 70s, I believe it might have been the Quakers brought in a fund to the UK that was the uh, Friends Providence Stewardship Fund and it's still in existence today and that was very much started out and this has been the case for an, up until recent times it was the negative screen it was excluding certain types of investment but that is like I said it's developed into actually the impact side of investing. We've actually uh, been thinking that there is obviously there's a lot of pros to ethical investing and, and investing your money in an ethical way and considering those aspects but there are sort of some cons to it as well and you know we want to be kind of honest and informative about that so there there are maybe some additional costs or risks or um aspects like that what what would um listeners need to know when they were thinking about investing their money more ethically or whether they are investing it ethically already that may have some kind of cost or disadvantage to it okay i think the first one and i must add that i feel as though this particular 
risk is reducing year on year as more and more companies actually fall into what would be deemed as uh, unethical. Because I feel as though that's the direction of travel in the world. So there's no doubt the number of companies that would be selected or, or certainly be available to a certain fund that's trying to achieve this is growing. Um, but there's no doubt that diversification is one area that is a potential drawback because obviously if you're not looking to invest ethically and it's uh, you know just looking at traditional investing, you've got a whole world to invest in and every company on the planet. When you start to put in some factors that start to mean that you have to knock out some of these companies because they don't meet the right criteria, you're naturally going to have a reduced pool of companies to invest in. But like I say, I feel as though that diversification issue is going to reduce in time and was certainly reduced over the last few years. But it's still there, which means that the types of returns that you'll get might look a bit different. In some years, it might be better than a traditional investment route. In other years, it might not be as good because you're going to be knocking out certain types of investments. Oil and gas is a perfect example. There are going to be times when oil and gas takes a really big hit and there are going to be times when it does okay. And if you've not got that in a, in a fund that's screened that way, then it's going to behave slightly differently to, to a non-ethical fund. So that that's, that's you're right, we need to mention that the risks. But as I said, that is changing year on year. I feel as that those oil and gas companies will start to become a smaller, this is just one example, by the way, uh, tobacco and other, maybe start to become a smaller element of the world's investment universe. The other factor for me is I still feel to do this right, to do this right, and, and I do have to add, I'm, the, I'm a regulated advisor in this discussion. So remember, everybody's circumstances is different. This is just opinion. To do this right, I think it's still the domain of active managers. And what I mean by that is a manager or a team who actually go and scrutinize the companies that they are investing in and really understand whether they meet certain criteria. Now, we're seeing more and more passive or sort of index tracking approaches, but I'm not yet convinced that they are going to be able to screen as well as a team of active managers who are able to go in and, and scrutinize the company. That will improve again. But why this is something to factor in is active management costs more money. And that varies, but we could you could be looking at somewhere between a half or 0.75% difference. And that's something to consider. You can't look past that. Cost is something to consider. But uh, yeah, cost is one thing. Trying to align your money to your values is, a, is another. And there's also the performance related part where a lot of these active ethically screened funds have done very well. So it's, it's again, it's just doing that research and knowing whether these managers have a track record. So yeah, again, a long-winded answer to what can be a, a relatively complicated question. Um, Georgia, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, what part specifically? I was thinking about part of what Tom is talking about is information and obviously active management. You require that because you as an individual, it's hard for you to have the right information, but perhaps there's a role for, you know, products like the one that you've created with um, Tumelo that helps to fill that information gap or gives people ways to find more information and what role that might have in reducing some of the cons that Tom was just talking about. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think that 
in the passive space, I think what's really important is having active stewardship. So there's a difference between active asset management and active stewardship in that like active management is picking stocks with a kind of raw definition of that. It's the idea that you would you know, choose to invest in one company, but not another based on financial performance. And it could be long term or short term, depending on what kind of active manager you are, for example. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're ethical, of course. And it doesn't mean that you're picking companies because they're going to do well over the long term. It, it could be that you think they're going to do well over the next four weeks if you're a hedge fund, for example. So, and I guess to complicate that, you can also short stocks. So, you know, you can bet against a company effectively. So it really doesn't mean anything about positive investment in and of itself. I think what we really stand for is about active stewardship and the idea that if you are going to give your money to a company or you're going to buy shares in a company, then you need to see that through. You need, you're responsible for the outcome. And the way to do that is, I guess, to make the decision on whether you invest or not in the first place. But that's the active part. That's the short term decision. And actually, what you can then do is guide that company's management. You can keep them accountable. You can make sure that they're being transparent. You can like divest from them is that a big idea. That, that you could tell a chairman that you're not going to re-elect him next year if they don't have 30% women on the board. Um, you, know, you could do the same if they don't disclose their fossil fuel targets or their climate change targets, if they don't align to the Paris Accord. You could do it on anything, really. There's votes every year at big companies. Um, this year, for example, there was a shareholder vote asking Facebook to elect a human rights director to the board asking Walmart to be more transparent about its pesticides and its meat supply chain, you know, asking boards to think about their gender diversity. And these are all opportunities for shareholders who care and who want to be active in their stewardship to vote on their shares, to put their voice forward, to force change through using ownership. And you don't need to be an active manager for that. You just need to have an active stewardship team. So I think realistically, that's going to drive up the price of passive investment. So if you want a passive investment where no one's paying any attention, you can't, you expect it to be cheap, but you can't expect good stewardship. Whereas, you know, you need to pay for something in the middle, I suppose, if you're going to expect your passive manager to have a big stewardship team paying lots of attention to what these companies are doing and what they're saying. But I think, you know, there are some great brands out there, I wouldn't name them, but some of the big passive funds in the UK have written letters to, to chairman of FTSE 100 companies across the UK saying, you know, we won't re-elect you unless you do X, Y, and Z. So, you know, you've got a year to do it, get your ducks in a row. And that's a really strong message, whether you're a passive or active player. And even in passive, you can, Tom was talking about negative screening, you can screen out companies and, and kind of overweight for other companies. So instead of investing, you know, the same amount in each company, you might invest more in companies that are particularly good and less in companies that are not. And then you still get that diversification, but in a kind of way that's a bit weighted so that you're kind of overexposed is the word that they would use in the industry to more positive companies. So yeah, I think that role is really important. And that's really what Tamello is doing is trying to help pension members to see those questions and to have a voice on those questions so that it's not just that you're being represented by your fund manager or by the person who's you know picking stocks, but that you actually get looked through into you know, what's going on at Facebook and what's going on at Shell and BP and British American Tobacco. And how can you as a shareholder, whatever you own, stand up for what you believe in. And that doesn't even need to be positive. We would hope that it was. But you know, if you want to vote against climate change, that's fine. I guess the whole point is you, know, you need to understand what you own and take responsibility for that and try and shape 
the world that you want to retire into with it. And I guess that's really where we come from is this idea that what's the point in saving a ton of money if you're going to retire into a world that's super polluted and where there's you know no sustainable infrastructure and super high inequality, for example. And, and actually pensions and other investments are a really powerful, high leverage way to change that. So you can eat vegan your whole life, but if you're investing into fossil fuel companies or companies that don't protect animal welfare, then you know, your impact just completely cancelled out. So if you care about anything in the world, whether it's animal welfare, gender equality, human rights or climate change, you should be thinking about where your investments are going and wherever they're going on kind of taking some responsibility for how those companies are being stewarded and guided. I would agree with well, all of what George has said. Something that I took from what you were saying there, George, is actually the fund, using funds, and I talked about it earlier on, using the funds and being able to pull people's money creates a lot larger voice. So for the vast majority of us, if we were just to simply buy a share, our voting right is quite small. Whereas if we're using funds that are really aligned and, you know, have a stewardship team that's really, you know, fighting for the values that you have. If you've pulled your money together, let's say the funds have got a billion pounds in it, rather than your £1,000 that's in it, you've got a billion pounds. And going to the board, that's a far stronger voting base. And this is where funds can be really positive for for the average investor. The passive point and the stewardship, it's... I've seen that space develop in the last couple of years, and I still think there is some way to go there. But that is definitely where I think we'll see the greatest development is in the passive ESG space. But at the moment, although there is negative screening, they're definitely more aligned to the looking at the positive, looking at the stewardship team basis. I'm not seeing as much of a negative screen in passive funds as I am in active funds. So that's something to factor in that it's very likely that you're still going to be invested in companies that don't necessarily have the same values as you, but you're going to have money going into a fund that's actually going to be talking to the board and actually trying to make a difference. So I think there's a distinction to be made there. But yeah, I, I what Tamela are doing is great. They're actually giving people sight of what they're invested in. But one thing I would just finish on is that I'm not seeing a lot of pension funds that are in that passive space. They're still quite active. So again, just if you are going to move over to that, you know, ethical fund in your pension, great. But just keep an eye on what they're actually trying to do and achieve and also some of the costs that are associated with them. That's just so you are aware. But ultimately, that is another space that's growing is pension funds that are actually aligned to this ESG approach, which giving people options can only be a good thing. Yeah, and I think like, pension space is a little bit behind the retail investment space but in general you've got some pretty cool people in that industry working to create change there because there is so much money and you know especially you know what what type of listeners you have whether they're entrepreneurs and, and are working in smaller companies or whether they work for large workforces but you know if you take some of the big banks or the big supermarkets or you know, the big healthcare companies they've got a ton of employees whose money together is definitely valued in the billions and therefore they have a voice at these larger funds and I mean we, we cover passive and active funds but actually a lot of the pensions that we come across do contain a relatively large passive element because it's so much cheaper because you've got to people don't know much about their pension that there's a kind of max on how much you can pay for it because the regulators obviously looking after pension members and retail investors making sure they're not paying too much 
for something that they don't totally understand. And there's a lot of trustees and people looking after these pension schemes that are really asking, how can we get people more engaged? And I think that is the hook for the pensions industry. Sustainability is good in its own right, but also I think they see it as an opportunity to get ordinary people more interested in their pension and thinking about financial well-being and thinking about financial security through this lens of sustainability and trying to help the world. It's like another lever, I guess, to get people to think about their financial health um, if they know that they're also doing something positive for their community or for the wider world. Yeah, spot on, spot on. It's options. It's options for me because I have to stress here that for quite a few people, and this is a growing section of society this stuff is really important but it's not everybody but at least if we can start to make people aware of this type of investing and aware of where their money is invested it might get them thinking a little bit more but i i need to stress at this point that everybody has different values and it's just given those that are this way aligned the option of actually turning their money to these better forces shall we say But there is growing evidence to suggest that a company that is actually factoring in these ESG related considerations, they're going to be more robust. And that can only be good for the performance of these companies. So it's it's not just from aligning our values, there's also an element of a, a financial return to be had. But this is all conjecture at this point, but just something to factor in and consider. And I, yeah, I think that this is only going to grow. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think one of the things that happens if a company is particularly, I'd suggest particularly around the governance side, but the E and the S as well, a company that is doing those things right is less likely to face some kind of scandal, you know, and, and be in the news for all the wrong reasons. 
And that's got to be a positive in terms of, you know, their, how their customers perceive them and, and ultimately their their performance of their shares, surely. So we'd, certainly we'd hope that, you know, getting this stuff right also then translates to a bottom line as well. There's the theory. <laughs> so, that's the, that's theory, the theory, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. We've, seen, we've seen over the past few years that, that ESG-related investments have performed extremely well. But, you know, the past is not necessarily a guide to the future and all of that. But you, the, the theory suggests that, you know, these robust companies that are taking this seriously are are going to be companies of the future, which can only be positive for community, environment and all the social factors. But but also from an investment side of things, that that's the theory anyway. Yeah, it's the, it's the idea. It's what we hope. You said, obviously, that this is not for everybody. Are there any particular trends in terms of who chooses ethical investments and and what kind of, when you speak to people about this, you know, what kind of motivations are you seeing in them? Good question. So the trends is definitely this is something more and more people are wanting to talk about, brought up without any prompting. Because is it this is the thing that I've tried to grapple with is because everybody is different and everybody has a different value set, I don't want somebody to feel bad just because that's not something that's important to them. That's not the way that we run our business. We want to encourage people to know their options, but everybody is different. So you know, simply going, have you thought about where your money's investing? Is that got some framing to it? Would you invest ethically? I, I don't know. I'm, it's still something that I'm really trying to make sure that there isn't a lean and that makes somebody feel really quite bad if they don't really think about this sort of thing but you want to make people aware of it so i guess that what we're finding is is when we're having quite deep conversations with people some values really pop out and that's quite easy to start discussing that with them Uh, so the trend tends to be quite a few people are keen to exclude certain types of investing because it's aligned you mentioned about um some of the churches a few decades ago this is where it all stem from. So I have some clients who are quite religious and excluding some types of investments is important to them because they don't want to be seen to be promoting it. But I say the majority of the trend towards more and more sustainable and, and ethical investing is being, I just want my money to do a bit better, Tom. I want it to do some good. So it's not that they're specific about something. They're just, I want to see my money do some good. And I think that really chimes in with uh, George's point about the the stewardship, the active stewardship. I think that's what a lot of people are trying to get towards. It's actually, I'm not that bothered about it mitigating all of these different areas. I just want my money to do a bit better, please. And that's where I'm seeing the general trend is no doubt more and more of the clients we we're meeting, we're seeing those that are invested in this way growing. And that's been backed up by the numbers in our business. It's definitely a trend. And that's why we're very keen to make sure that we are on top of this because we want to make our clients aware of it and we want to feel comfortable advising them in this space. But like I said, everybody is different and I'm not going to be forcing this to people who this isn't important to them. It's good for them to know. But I think got to be a bit careful that we don't just shout at them. Otherwise, they don't actually start to understand what's available and what difference it can make. Yeah, I think I think there are some issues with, I guess, guilt tripping people into this. I, I Certainly my view is that it should be led by the person's own values and then be an active and positive choice 
for themselves because it is such a personal thing and you know what values you care about the most is you know what you consider to be the most ethical thing that is a deeply personal choice and I think it's it's really important that um, it's made I guess with kind of an open heart and a be a fully informed choice rather than like I said a sort of um almost like a guilt trip somehow yeah um, I think that's uh that's where I was talking about the framing of the question mm. just trying to make it as neutral as possible so Tom if a, a client comes to you for advice and, and says they want to invest ethically what sort of process do you have for helping them make good choices or understand what those choices might be and then for Georgia how might Tumalo be useful in that process of of understanding your uh, interests and choices and for people looking at their own investments and wanting to make a positive difference with their money okay so if we just assume for a moment that we've really understood what's important to them and built a financial plan and understood what kind of investment risk they need to take and now we're solely focused on somebody actually going ethical investing is something that is really appeals to me I'm assuming we start on that basis otherwise this could be a very long answer (laughs) so the first thing that I would ask is what their understanding of ethical investing is because we might find that that's how some of their core values come out it might well be that somebody doesn't know much at all but let's say somebody does know what's important to them and has a clear understanding that clearly gives us a framework to understand what kind of funds we should be recommending to a client if they have key things that they need to make sure is not invested in then we make sure that the funds that are chosen really do exclude those types of investments if we find that it's sort of the other end of the scale that, you know what, it's more about, I want to see some positive impacts in my portfolio. I need to see that it's doing some good. Now, what you usually then find is when you do try and recommend a portfolio of funds, you tend to find that a lot of them negatively screen already. And that's what we're discovering is the positive side is becoming more prevalent, but it's still the negative screens are definitely the, at the forefront of the way that fund managers are putting together their portfolios. But let's assume we really understand what somebody wants. So we make sure that the funds that we recommend are tackling those those values. And then it's about, for us, making sure that we, we in the background as an investment committee, based on somebody's risk level, we will say, well, this is where we'd like a portfolio to be invested in terms of balance around the world. Uh, it might be a balance towards stocks and shares or a balance towards things like bonds which are are loans which is something we've not even touched yet which the power of loans to companies that when you're loaning some money to a company so they could uh, invest or grow you really have the power to 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 force some change there but that's a that's a growing area but yeah then we decide right we need a certain amount of funds that are invested or trying to invest in the uk for example that are trying to invest in the us that are trying to invest in europe that because we want that spread around the world because of diversification because when one area is doing well another might not be doing so well Uh, so it's trying to get that balance so yeah understanding what's important to someone and making sure that the funds that we choose factor that in and then the proportion of those funds is based on where we want somebody to be spread around the world because just because you invest ethically doesn't mean that you can ignore investment principles which again for me are diversification and getting the right risk level, i.e. how much stocks and shares, 
how much is in things like bonds. So that's one area where I'd like to see some development in the pension space. Um, I think there is a lot of focus on stocks and shares funds or equity funds and a lot on UK equity, but I'm not seeing a lot. Well, it's growing. I want to see more funds available to, to pension members that are invested around the world that aren't just stocks and shares that maybe give somebody the option of reducing their risk a little bit if it's right for them. Great. Thank you. And then we're thinking about, for Georgia, how Tumelo can be useful in that process or for people looking at their own investments and wanting to make a positive difference with their money. Yeah, so I guess the quick answer is that if you have access to Tumelo through your pension platform or your retail platform or your workplace, then you can really easily just see what you're invested in and make a judgment based on what you care about. So if you're really passionate about animal welfare, you'll be able to see if you're invested heavily in pharmaceutical companies, for example, you'll be able to check those out and see where they stand on an animal welfare perspective. And if you're not happy with that, then you could ask your pension provider to change, so to be put into a more ethical fund or a fund that thought a bit more about that specific issue or more about issues generally. Um, And likewise, I think a lot of people see the investments that they have and they see the companies they have and they, you know, can get that look through and feel quite comfortable that actually you know, they might be invested in some companies they're not sure about, but it's only a very small amount relative to the overall pot. And actually by using our platform, they at least have a say in what's going on at those companies. Of course, if you're not invested in them, then you effectively wash your hands of them, which is a tactic called divestment. And it's very, very powerful and it's very useful in lots of cases, but it's not always the best thing to do because there's always someone kind of less moral than you there waiting to buy the stock, at least in many circumstances. So sometimes if you have enough of the investment and, and if you together with other people pulled into your pension fund have the power to create change, it might make sense to stay invested. Uh, I guess it depends on your pension provider a lot and, and where your investments are and who's managing them. And that's really what we do from a transparency perspective is show you what stocks they're picking is show you what way they're voting, show you whether their vote aligns with what you would have wanted to vote so that you can make a really clear judgment at the end of the day about whether you're happy with the investments that you have. And some of the providers we're working with are using Tomello to give that transparency before purchase as well. So we work both ways initially and and I guess primarily we're for people that already have investments to show them what's going on with those and get them more involved with them, more engaged. But some of the platforms we're working with are using us or using our software to make the investments they have and the stewardship decisions, you know, the votes that they're making more transparent before customers buy so that they're a bit more aware about what they're buying into rather than just the name of a product. I don't know if people have been shopping online for funds before that are listening to this, but I'm sure you will have experienced this very odd naming system and nothing really means much to the everyday person lots of numbers and obscure titles. So uh, we're trying to take that down to earth a little bit more and make it a bit clearer what's actually going on with your money if you if you buy this product. And we don't really do much from a performance perspective. So the platform is really designed to be coupled with another investment platform. You know, it's to be coupled with something that talks about value and return. We don't get into that. We, we really just talk about, like, these are the companies you have. This is what these companies do. And these are the votes that are going on. What do you think? So we try and keep it 
like pretty focused on this whole idea of sustainable investment and stewardship rather than getting tied up in that slightly more financial world of performance etc i think you've brought up a really important point there once you've done that real understanding and and screening and exactly what georgia was talking about there is still a financial element to this you know not everybody in a, is in a position where they can actually just forgo investment return it's no longer the case i believe that just because you're investing ethically, you can also get the return that you need. So I think it is important to factor in just because it's as ESG or ethical or is ticking the boxes, it might be a real stinker of a fund. And you have to know that. I think it's important to look at the financials of it and go, yep, love where it's investing. They're doing all the stewardship things that I, I think are really important. However, it's not actually being managed particularly well from a financial point of view. And it's just knowing that. And if you're willing to accept that, fine. If not, there might be other options. There might be other funds to look at. So I think there is a combination needs to be factored in. Um, so it's more of a two-step approach to picking funds rather than the traditional way of going, right, actually, well, which fund has a good track record, period, rather than the work that Tremelo are doing is, is just adding that extra layer for people that, that feel as though it's important. That's really helpful. And yes, I think that's a very, very important point that people do still in most cases, people will still need to consider the the financial return on, on what they're getting. And you want the fund to be managed well, because it needs to be a win-win-win, right? So yeah, I think that's a very important point. So any of our listeners who want to do a, a kind of an ethical spring clean on their finances, if they're, if they're looking at what they've already got, they may or may not have access to Tumelo. Um, but in, just in general, if you if you want to think about investing what you have already more ethically, do you have any top tips on how to go about doing that? We'll start with Tom, please. Yes. The first thing, simply put, is go on to the fund options sheet that you might have with a pension provider, or you can do this online, and look for certain keywords. And these keywords would be responsible, sustainable, ethical, maybe ESG uh, as, as the acronym, and you might start to see some funds with those titles on them. And that should show you automatically they're trying to be in this space. Um, and they, they all have different approaches to what this means. Um, but that would be a starting point to see in what, whether you'd want to put your money in, in this sort of investing. That would be the simplest way to start the journey. Are there any tools or particular websites that people can use to help them kind of understand a bit more about this or um get a bit more detailed we've said you know there's a wide range of ways in which something can be depicted as an ethical fund or, or be an ethical fund so if people want to to dig in a bit more deeply and find out well what specific type of of ethical is this one are there any research tools that you would recommend so clearly a good starting point would be to mellow i think this is exactly the space that that they're in where they're able to start talking about these topics and what it's all about and I know I'll certainly be looking at it in more detail. There are other areas that, or, or other websites that, that have popped up that we look at where fund managers have helped to try and put this information out there a little bit more clearly. One of them is ethicalscreening.co.uk. They give a bit more information on what this is about. And the other one that uh, that is worth having a look at is something called fundecomarket.co.uk. Again, it starts to give a bit more background or definition to 
what we're talking about and, and has some screens that you can look at certain approaches to funds and start to see who's in this space. Again, fund managers who are, who are providing this information to these particular websites because they're keen for people to understand what they actually stand for. And that's the key thing is really look under the bonnet and understand because one fund house's version of ethical is very different to another's. So important, but I think Tomello are doing a terrific amount of work in this space as well. So there's three resources you could you could have a look at just to start to to understand what it all means. And and some of these websites might be more directed towards financial advisors with the terminology they use. That would be my my word of warning. So yeah, that's some resources to start with. I'd say there's a really good website called Good With Money who do kind of financial well-being, but they also do lots on sustainability. They've really leaned like quite heavily into that as, as a kind of content piece. So you can find some guides on there and there's especially one on pensions. So Rebecca and her colleagues wrote a whole, it's quite long, but it's really tongue in cheek. It's actually kind of enjoyable to read, which I thought I'd never say about a pensions guide. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good place to go and it's really practical. It's like, here's what you can do. And then the other thing, you can look at the websites of the places where you're thinking about buying funds and see what the thesis is of the fund manager. So, you know, you can really tell if, I think, if they live and breathe it, if they've got good transparency on their website. You know, I'm just using an example, like Web Group, W-H-E-B Group, they're an impact fund. So, you know, you need to be really looking for kind of impact investment and they're actively managed, but... Their website's really transparent. They're showing you what they invest in. They break it down by category. I think they give you a carbon footprint, like when you, depending on how much money you put in, like how much carbon you're saving. And so businesses that are really leaning into that are clearly you know, not afraid of what they're investing in. Um, so you can, with a little bit of Googling, also get quite far. And I also wouldn't get tied up too much on like what's perfect think there isn't really perfect and that you're best just to you know take some financial advice if you can afford it you could also use an app if you can't there's quite a lot of like platforms out there which which you know, definitely don't replace an advisor but are maybe a short-term option and they also can specialize in um impact investing or kind of more ethical sustainable investing so i think a good google is your friend in this circumstance um and yeah i would just listen to what the fund managers are saying as well because what they write on their website will be pretty telling as to how far forward they talk about sustainability or whether it's kind of a separate tab on their website, for example, which maybe means it's an afterthought. Great. Thank you very much. So I guess our final question is, if our listeners want to learn more about what you do, both of you, where can they find you? Let's start with Georgia. So yeah, so we've got Twitter at HQ that you can follow and also Tomello Community on twitter where we talk about like votes that are open votes that are going on if you're listening to this and you're interested to get access to tomello then something that'd be super helpful is to like sign up to our waitlist. the url for that is on the twitter feed and that gives us an indication of who's interested and what platform they're currently using so it helps us target our sales know where to go next so yeah definitely sign up to that and obviously feel free to add me or any of my team on linkedin we've got a user testing sign up as well so if you add me on linkedin or twitter and you ask to do some user testing that's super useful for us because we can show you around the platform and get your feedback on what we can improve and what you think is missing fantastic and tom where can we find you and where can we listen to your podcast 
Uh, yes. So you can find me Twitter at Ovation Tomo. Uh, so with Ovation, it's ovationfinance.co.uk and you'll be able to find any contact information there. So feel free to get in touch. Uh, the podcast is found on all usual podcast platforms. So it's the Financial Wellbeing Podcast and we've been doing it for a little while now. So a nice back catalogue, but you can also find details of that on at financialwell-being.co.uk. And one last one, if you can bear to remember this listener is the initiative for financial wellbeing.org.uk is what we talked about at the start is this is this movement we're putting together about financial well-being and really trying to understand and research it and at the moment trying to improve the knowledge of the financial services profession so they can then talk to their clients about it but the longer term aim is number one not to make this just a uk thing but also to reach out to the general public who might not be able to access financial advice. So we are looking to, to spread the word. And I think I alluded to already, I'm going to be having a conversation with Georgia because I think she could really help us with that. Fantastic stuff. Brilliant. It's been really fascinating talking to you both. I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for both of you for joining us and we'll be in touch and we'll be putting links to all your contacts in the show notes. Thank you for having us. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks. You've been listening to Squanderlust, a podcast about the emotional side of money. Your hosts were Martha Lawton and Alex Lemon. You can find us online at squanderlustpod.com, where we'll put links to show notes, books and articles we mention, and other interesting things. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or you have a story to tell about something you've heard here, get in touch through the website. If you enjoyed Squanderlust, Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and give us one of those lovely five-star reviews. You could even tell your friends about us. We'd love that. Squanderlust is sponsored by Wardour Studios in Fitzrovia, London, with production by David Smith, Charlie Brandon King, Tom Berry and Alicia Cunningham. Our theme music is by Wardour Studios and graphic design by Jason Reed. Thanks for listening. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.